0: You're listening to the Private Citizen, your weekly data privacy podcast, episode 33. For Wednesday, the 5th of August, 2020, Privacy Shield is no more. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. My name is Fab. I'm coming to you from my home studio in Hamburg, just off runway 33. Everything's 33 today (laughs) of uh, Hamburg International Airport. I am sitting here uh, rereading Bismarck because you know I don't know it helps me it helps me cope with the uh, with the uncertain times <laughs> but uh, today um, I'm gonna talk about the privacy shield decision of the European Court of Justice that happened recently but before we do that I'm getting some coffee and I will recommend you do the same because I mean, this is a legal topic um it uh you know gotta sharp you gotta sharpen your mind before we dive into this i'm uh, i'm happy that you're there uh, with me here um today actually on so on the fifth today uh, this podcast uh, turns uh, half a year old i've now been doing this for six months which is kind of incredible for to me um this incredible how uh, time flies and then of course episode 33 uh, if you listen to no agenda you know that is a very special number (laughs) so uh, everything coming together here um today so what i want to talk about in this episode is a uh, decision of the european court of justice that happened on the 16th of july so um it's been on the docket for quite a bit so i had it you know i had it i saw it and I was pretty much, um, I w- wanted to say resigned, but not really resigned. You know, I, I knew that we had, we'd had to do an episode about this. Um, I just had some other stuff I had to go get out of the way. So we're now getting to it. And um, I mean, I knew that I needed to do an episode on, on this because this is like a pretty much a landmark, um, a landmark case. It, there's, there's some, some, Disagreement on what it actually means. And if it, if it's that, you know, if it, it, if it, if it has that much impact, especially right away, right now, um, I'm going to talk about that on the show, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. But I think it's, it's nonetheless very important and something you need to know about if you're interested in, um, privacy and, you know, especially if you're in Europe. But also, kind of, if you're in the US, and probably, you know, it's just, it's just. I mean, this, this, this. There's a privacy battle going on uh, between the European Union way of thinking and the US way of thinking, and I think it it will it pretty much impact anybody, no matter where you are, uh, because I mean, when the GDPR was uh, came into effect, lots of other countries uh, outside of of the EU um, looked at this and and it started looking at this, and I think there will be. Um, either similar regulations are in some direction or pushback uh, depending on where you are and so it's a very important topic and, and we'll get into that momentarily i just wanted to say um if my voice sounds a bit rough and you know um, my voice sounds a bit weird it's because we're in the middle of allergy season and i'm, I'm up to my gills and uh, antihistamines but uh, that doesn't that doesn't stop my nose from being uh, almost completely uh Unusable, so uh, just just be aware of that. It's just something I can't change. It's a bit dumb when you're a podcaster. Uh, this started happening to me a few years ago, and now I'm I'm doing everything I can, but uh, it's hard to it's it's actually hard to fight it. So um, just just so you're aware, and uh, just with that disclaimer out of the way, the other disclaimer, of course, uh, copious show notes for this episode can be found on privatecitizen.press. And as, as as usual, um this show, if you if you're listening to this for the first time, my goal with this is to provide people with information that they can look up themselves. And you know, obviously this is my viewpoint and there might be there might be things I talk about which you think are not correct or you know are are just wrong. And, um, I want to engage everybody listening to the show, not only as listeners, but uh, as producers. So if you have opinions, if you have contradictory points or facts, um, please send them to me. Contact details on privatesystem.press. Um, in the show notes, there is a, uh subheading producer feedback which includes the feedback that i'm going to talk about at the end of the show and that has a link contact me link and there's one in the footer as well this goes to fab.industries which is my blog uh fab.industries slash contact has a lot of ways of contacting me including um anonymous stuff so if you're somewhat of a you know if you're a whistleblower you want to send me some information you can do that that way um just so you know you know i um i want to encourage everybody with this to think for themselves and that will mean you have different viewpoints which i i want i value i want to hear about um, this is somewhat you know this is my my attempt of as you know as a prof- professional journalist myself it's my attempt of trying to fix the current media landscape or you know the the traditional media landscape where you have people that are in control of a platform And they will tell you a viewpoint, basically, and they present you with facts or sometimes even wrong information um, for whatever reason. And um, you're kind of, you know, that's kind of the received wisdom you're supposed to just accept that and i i want to get away from that i think it's much harder these days to have balanced a balanced viewpoint especially on political matters and you know privacy often is political so it it, it, it all flows into that and i think it's very hard so i think the um, my approach to fixing this is uh, making it clear that this is my research it's through it's you know viewed through my eyes and, um, giving you the sources that I use. So you, if you want to, you don't have to. I mean, you, this is a service. You can just listen to this. Um, but if you want to get in, engaged and you want to look something up and you're like, oh, maybe this doesn't seem right. Or maybe, you know, I mean, I'm talking about US stuff here, for example, and you're from the US and you know better. Um, you can look into it. You can tell me, um, and it, that's my way of, uh, of changing. Of trying to change the way journalism works, my humble attempt, but with that out of the way, let's actually get into the topic that we're here for that we all gather together um to discuss, which today is the um so on on the sixteenth of July, the European Court of justice, which is the europeans uh, the european union's court um that so uh, in the European Union, if, if, if you're not, you know, we are, Germany is part of the European Union and Germany, of course, is a sovereign country, um, and has a high, highest, two highest courts. Actually, we have a constitutional court and kind of an administrative court. Um, but when, when the European Union, you know, in the, in the process of that being established and, and, uh, you know, uh, built, um, Changes were made, so there's now a European Court of Justice that if a German court decides something, um, and the highest court in the line, that usually was, you know, if, if, they, if our version of the Supreme Court said something, that, you know, that was the final decision. But now you can actually escalate it up to the European Court of Justice, and the stuff they say, I mean, there are... Um, bound to European kind of matters. But when they decide something, it actually supersedes uh, the national courts and they have to agree to that. And on top of that, of course, you can also appeal to them directly if your matter... Is um, you know of it concerns European regul uh, re- you know legislation regulations and you think it's a European topic that applies to all the EU member states and then they also have decisions and this is a very so the decision they made on the sixteenth of July this is case C three one one slash eighteen so the case was brought in twenty eighteen um, basically invalidated the Privacy Shield. Agreement that the European Union has with the United States of America. Now, I had previously talked about the Privacy Shield in episode number five, um, when I talked about uh, Google, um, because of Brexit, moving its UK um, user data to the US. And, you know, I talked a bit about Privacy Shield in that respect. So if you want to go back to that, you can listen to that. But if you don't want to do that, uh, let's quickly um, want to give you a quick overview of how this works and what Privacy Shield is. Now, Privacy Shield um, has existed for a long time and especially before the GDPR. So the EU, EU data protection regulation that came into effect a few years ago and governs personal data. Uh, of eu citizens in the eu before that came into effect it it, it used to be called um uh, why have i blanked on on the on the name now uh safe harbor it used to be called safe harbor which, which always was a stupid name because safe harbor is also a concept that we have talked about before um in the case of the u.s you know uh social media and internet sites and you know them if they don't uh editorialize their content then there's a safe harbor provision and all that kind of stuff so and safe harbor is a general legal term used in several contexts i guess so um so this being called privacy shield is a bit more uh, descriptive i think so what that actually means is the following um when the gdpr came into effect in europe um it uh Basically, put down rules that companies and individuals, but you know, mostly applying to companies, um, have to follow when they store or process user data of users in the EU. So this um, is, uh, this governs um, all the server locations or companies within the EU, but it also governs EU. Uh, data from eu eu users generally so um there's a question what happens if i'm an eu user i use a a service of a company that is not in the eu and the data is not stored in the in the eu i have rights under the under the gdpr as a EU. EU member and also in the UK so currently even with Brexit uh, the GDPR is in effect in the UK and the UK has uh, the government has said that they will keep that into effect and they will have I talked about this in the other episode as well and explained that they'll have their local uh, version of the GDPR but for intensive purposes you can currently assume that you know basically even though uh, the UK is not part of the European Union anymore uh, the GDPR applies there so um so there is there's basically three tiers of of countries within this. There's countries in the EU where uh, and the UK now basically where the GDPR applies, right? And then there is countries, there's a list of countries that the EU um commission um has put together where they're basically saying, okay, these are countries that have equivalent data protection rules and for the purposes of the gdpr we kind of assume that these countries you know are like the gdpr so you can freely export data into those countries Uh, i think canada's on the list as the several countries on the list and then there's everybody else there's countries that that are not on this list and Generally, you're not allowed um, to uh to export data there. So let's say you're a Ukrainian company um and you have a subsidiary in Germany and you're let's say a social network or a uh, social network, maybe uh, unrealistic. Let's say you are a, a reseller of something, right? Um so you have a you have a subsidiary of your company in Germany. And that subsidiary, the the data of your customers that you store and you process falls under the GDPR. Now, if you want to export data from your subsidiary in Germany to the headquarters in the Ukraine, you're not allowed to do that because the Ukraine is one of these countries where the uh, commission says there's no... uh, Proper data protection in place, nothing comparable to the G- to the gdpr now if if you were a Canadian company and you exported it to a uh, to your h q in Canada then you would be allowed to do that um, you'd still have to abide by um in europe by the gdpr but then it's just assumed as soon as the data is in the uk you abide by canadian law and because the commission currently says you know that the laws there are okay um you're allowed to do that now the us um is not on this list of countries where you can export it but of course the us is has a special uh, a special place in the world when it comes to the internet you know uh most of the technology companies are there. The big ones, the ones we use in, in the EU as well, of course. And you know, lots of the infrastructure is just rooted through the US. Now, that would be a problem if you were not allowed to export data from the EU to the US. Now, to solve this, Privacy Shield comes into effect. So, um, the EU Commission said, okay, um, the US is not on this list, but we have a special agreement with the US. And so under this privacy shield agreement we will treat us companies as being you know in one of these equivalent jurisdictions now how this worked was uh there was i mean this was kind of um kind of haphazard from the beginning and many people and privacy experts uh, criticized this from the beginning um there's there's a list uh, so in the uh, in the us the, um, I think, who was it again? The um, the Department of Commerce, right? So the, the U.S. Department of Commerce was administering a list where basically if you were a U.S. company, you could say, um, I want to be on this list. And then you sign a um, a set of rules that you agree you will abide by when you process data from EU citizens. And these rules were basically equivalent to the GDPR. You know, they were a bit laxer, I think. But it's like these rules, um, we will abide by these rules. Um, Now, the problem was that, well, one of the problems is that nobody was policing that. And then there were other problems. We'll get into that. Um, So if you said, yes, I want to be part of Privacy Shield, you get put onto this list, and then you are allowed to export And use EU data from EU users under these rules, um, and and save them to you know store them on US servers and process them there and all that kind of stuff. So of course you know Google, Facebook, everybody, ever all the big companies were on this part of this privacy shield. Now there is an Austrian uh, privacy activist called Max Schrems, and um, I've talked about him before as well. He has this organization, this data privacy uh, protection organization called N O Y B Uh, November Oscar Yankee Bravo Uh, which I think stands for none of your business. And he basically made a a living as far as I can tell out of (laughs) suing Facebook. And this started with uh, a a, uh, suit uh, with the European court of justice, uh, that is case C three six two-14. So this was started in 2014. Um where basically so face Max Schrems was saying Facebook is exporting. So Facebook has a headquarters in Ireland, which is the EU centered, the EU headquarters, you know, Republic of Ireland being part of the EU. And um they that that's where, you know, that's their that's the entity. Uh, in the, the commercial entity in the EU. And they were using that to transit data um, from from the EU to the US. So let's say you're a German Facebook user, right? And you have a or an Austrian Facebook user and you have an account with Facebook, then they, um, you know, were processing that data on US servers. I mean, there, there weren't, there, there isn't like a, uh, um, separate EU-only e- way of you know storing that data or whatever, right? So you know they were exchanging that data through this EU subsidiary. Now that of course their EU subsidiary for I mean they were doing that under on, on Privacy Shield and the EU sub or back then um, you know at the at the point where this first lawsuit uh, was going on, I think it was. Um, it was still safe harbor but whatever let's just call it privacy shield right they were um exchanging that data under privacy under privacy Shield, and they i mean you're a you're eu user and they have a subsidiary in in the u.s so you know your data is covered under the gdpr and um, max schramms first um because facebook uh is headquartered in ireland first complained to the Uh, irish um, data protection officer um, and said you face i mean facebook is 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 taking my data and taking it to u.s servers and there it is under scrutiny there it is uh, subject to being spied on by u.s intelligence services we know this there are laws about this um and that does not comply with the gdpr i don't understand how this is possible and um as far as i can remember like the you know the the data protection officer wasn't really uh doing enough um addressing this so max schrems sued uh facebook um you know under um you know, at the European Court of Justice, and he won that first uh, lawsuit in 2015, and that the rules uh, were changed. And this is, I think, part of you know when 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 it was renamed Privacy Shield and all this stuff happened. But Max Schramm said this is not enough, and sued them again, and now he's won this second second case. It, so the 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 point of contention here is, of course, I mean, this is the European Union's court, right? It's the European Court of Justice. So, if you're in the US and you're listening to this, you got to keep in mind all of this is seen from a European perspective of privacy. And I'm not saying that is correct, right? It is, this is just we passed the GDPR, which didn't came out of nowhere. I mean, it is it is largely, I think it is largely a um, a German effort because it is largely based on a German privacy law we had before, which just wasn't enforced really. And it is basically uh, now just put on a European level. And actually the thing that changed um, from the German law is the, the, the fines are, are much more draconian. Um because the German uh, in, the, in the German process people like realized okay if you if if uh, if a company like Google or Facebook or whatever um misuses EU citizens' data and then we find them like, I don't know, five hundred thousand euros, that's like nothing for them. So they changed all these rules and the fines are um can be uh, huge. Uh, even for big companies, they're a percentage of their revenue, so it's or uh, well, I think even the income. Um so it's 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 actually scary. It's 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 even scary scary for companies like Google and Facebook now. And um so but keep in mind this is like the law is written for Europeans and it's from a European perspective. So you don't have to necessarily agree with, you know, from a US perspective of somebody else who has different privacy um different feelings about privacy, but it is law in the EU. So it is it, it covers I am a EU citizen and my data is covered under this law and I have certain rights. And basically what the uh Court of Justice, the European Court of Justice, said here, is that the from a European perspective, the the, the privacy laws in the US are not adequate. Um seen you know the U.S. as a whole. I mean, there are there are uh, exceptions, local laws. For example, California has new pri- newer privacy laws that actually go in the direction of the GDPR. I think they were influenced by the GDPR to some extent. Um, but since it's not U.S. wide, Privacy Shield is like not an... is like not it doesn't really count, right? Because, I mean. If just the privacy laws in in California are are very strict, and then uh, they're not in Nevada, then you Google, you just move every move your whole operation to Nevada, and you know that you're not covered under that. So basically, the the EU Court of Justice is saying the uh, the pr- the, the, pr- the privacy protections we want to see in in another country. Um, then they're not there in the US, right? To, to, to the, it's not equivalent to what the GDPR, uh, guarantees. So we think it's not equivalent. And this whole process, I mean, I've, have explained it a little bit with the list. Max Schrems I called this years ago, putting lipstick on the pig. Um, because in reality, uh, the, these commitments that companies make to be on the list, that they're not enforced by anybody. Um, and it is clear that U.S. intelligence services and, and law enforcement can access that data. And um, I mean that there are there are other pro- other problems that compound this. One is that a lot of the uh, rights, the U.S. rights and and data privacy protections, uh, rules and laws um, do not apply for non-citizens. So there's there's, there's 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 rights that you have as a U.S. citizen under the Constitution that you can actually enforce uh, legally and you can sue people, but they do not apply to my data. I'm from Germany. You know, th- th- to some extent, they can they can do with my data whatever they want. I'm not a U.S. citizen. I don't have those rights. And so basically the. Um, the European court of just of justice. The one thing they criticized was this. They're not, the, the laws aren't adequate. Um, and they're, they they do not apply to Europeans a lot of the time. And also there is no real legal recourse. So even if there, there were rules and they were violated as a EU citizen, I do not ha- really have recourse to, to, uh, to to have you know to 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 sue anybody um so i can't i mean i can sue facebook in ireland for what they're doing in the eu but i can't really sue them so if let's say okay let's say i have a facebook account right and the um some law enforcement you know gets uh gets a judge in the U.S. and gets a subpoena or whatever they need, um, you know, they get, legally get to look at my data in the U.S. because of some, something that happened. Um, then I have no real working legal recourse. I can't sue Facebook in Ireland for something that their U.S. subsidiary is doing locally in the U.S., which is completely legal right I, and i can't go and, and go to like i don't know the supreme court or whatever and say look this violates my rule my, my 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 rights because um i don't have rights under the us constitution and the us supreme court doesn't care about my rights under the eu Carter or whatever or the gdpr they don't care about the gdpr for something somebody is doing locally there and probably legally so They, you know, that that was also a big um, criticism. So this is also this is something privacy experts and legal experts have criticized for a long time. And you know, this Max Schrems lawsuit is just, you know, the 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 first case that was really um, came through, which basically um, made all this come to a head. Um, Interestingly, I find okay. I sound very um, on the side of the EU on this probably, um, but I, I have some criticisms as well. Um, so one of the things is aside from looking at the GDPR, which you know I, I see critical in some extents. I think it it is definitely, you know, if you care about privacy, one thing it does in Europe it gives it gives you as the user actually good recourse it gives you the ability to ask companies uh, where they store the data you can ask them to delete data and actually have to do it i mean the the, the 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 fines are huge um and that i mean i think that in itself is a step forward because you have finally have legal recourse that actually works where you can you know it needs to be scary to to actually um work um, I mean, we can, you know, it's, it's problematic for companies. It's especially problematic for small companies. There is, there is, uh, lots of criticism. It could be leveled against the GDPR, but you no, know, this is not the episode for that. I mean, and we can talk about that at some point. I think it's, it's an interesting topic, especially if people write in and say, you know, uh, I'm interested in that. Um, but they also looked at, so the, the court also looked at the EU Charter of fundamental rights, which is like a human rights, um, document that the member, that is, uh, all the member states signed and that is legally binding for them. And there's, you know, some, some stuff in there about the sanctity of, of privacy, private information, and you know, the family, your family and all of this. And, um, I I find this um, interesting and a bit ironic, um, especially in the current situation that um, we are in. I mean, I've talked about on the show previously on like the coronavirus stuff that happened this year. And I mean, to me, it feels in some respects like the GDPR doesn't apply right now um, because... Largely, um, there are exceptions in there. You know, basically, the government just declared a a health crisis, which means the GDPR doesn't apply, pretty much. Um, which means they can collect information. Um, I have to mandatorily um, give people information, and they can store them in ways that normally under the GDPR would would result in fines and in prob. You know, there it's not GDPR compliant. Some of this data collection. Um, So I feel like it's interesting to see the European Court of Justice when they are um, arguing against what the U.S. is doing with with user data um, to invoke this Carter fundamental rights, which currently I don't feel like I'm covered by. Um, I don't feel locally in the EU. We just said, oh, it's a a health crisis. We can now do whatever we want. I mean, that's uh, a bit polemic maybe, but... um, it seems like currently inside the EU, pretty much, if you say, oh, b- b- but because coronavirus, um, all bets are off. Um, which, which I see a bit cr- critical. I mean, it sure the GDPR has, um, has exceptions for this that were in there from the beginning. And I should probably have criticized beforehand, but I just. To be honest, I didn't know they were in there, um, but you know that's that's fair. That's the law, and laws have exceptions. Now, the Carter of fundamental rights is something different. I mean, I've talked about this previously on the show. Um, you know, I did a whole episode saying privacy is a is a right, right? It's a it's not a privilege. And fundamental rights that means something. You know, fundamental rights, human rights. That means that those are inalienable rights. Um, Those are rights you cannot take away from people because there's a medical health crisis. At least that's how I feel. Otherwise, the the label is meaningless. Right? If you can, I mean, all fundamental rights can be restricted in some way and have to be. You know, I mean, there's always this example people call, you know... uh, Right to free speech, but if you're yelling fire in a in a theater and all of that, that's a bit simplistic. But yes, uh, legally, ri- all rights um, have boundaries, um, especially when when the importance of you know the lives of, of fellow citizens is concerned. But still, um, still, I feel like fundamental rights means something something more. That's just that's just a criticism. Um, I have with this right I feel like this is a bit hypocritical and I I hate hypocrisy it's the the, the thing I probably hate most on this planet and I find it interesting that we are currently you know killing privacy shield and we're um, we're criticizing the US for stuff they do with our user data which you know I think is valid Um, I'll get into that a little bit later but yeah I think the criticism on the basically uh bottomless surveillance of of data of non-us citizens is uh that 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 is just doesn't fly like that that is horrible um and i think that criticism is correct but in the same time i I feel like there needs to there need to be lawsuits uh before the european court of justice maybe they're being brought maybe they're coming if they are i will certainly report on this on, on the show um, about what we are doing with our user data right now. Um, where we're basically saying, Hey, uh, you have to leave your address when you go into a restaurant and then the police can look at that. Um, and there are no consequences for that. And there are no consequences when companies just leave those lists lying around. And when, 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 when employees at restaurants start stalking uh a female uh customer just because you know well she looked cute or whatever. Um there need to be consequences about that. And I think there need to be I feel like there need to be lawsuits. Uh the European Court of Justice needs to look at what we are currently doing inside of the EU with user data with this coronavirus exception. You know it's uh the oh wait uh <laughs> Uh, you know, with that much decried second wave and whatever, and, you know, scaremongering. Um, I, I feel like we need to look at that as well. But, you know, that was just an aside, maybe a long aside, but I thought that needed to be said because I fucking hate this hypocrisy. Um, now, I do um, I do agree with the European Court of Justice when they say, you know, the surveillance programs in the US that are documented, that are on the books, they are, they're just not limited enough i'm not limited at all in some cases um when we're talking about eu we non-us citizens and um and the eu's court of justice isn't saying that surveillance and national security um can't impinge on privacy laws but they're basically saying what we're looking for in a law is like if you're doing this, if you're analyzing data and you're uh, intelligence gathering and you're spying on people, then then that needs to be limited to what is absolutely necessary. And you read this often, like in, in EU laws about this kind of stuff. And we can argue, we can argue that intelligence gathering by EU, uh, you know. And I do, uh, I do often do uh, by by you know law enforcement and intelligence services. Is that limited to what is absolutely necessary? I would say often not. But you know, I think even people in the U.S. have to be in agreement that the uh, that the surveillance that the U.S. is doing exceeds this by far. You know, we know this from Snowden and from other stuff. I've talked about this on the show. Other laws um that have been passed since you know just you know even i mean or before the, you know the patriot act and stuff like that and i i do agree with the us uh with the eu um court of justice on this this point um i think these these rules and these laws in the in the us um don't um don't don't limit this enough. Pretty, pretty much, not at all. Um, and it's like that. That's a valid point. And the other valid point is the one with the uh, you know, you just have no no working legal recourse. There needs to be a system in the U.S. where EU citizens. Um. Or basically, what they're saying is to be to be effective on Privacy Shield, there would have been needed to be in a system where uh EU, um citizens who, who see their rights violated in the u.s have recourse against the company that is doing it maybe even against the government um and there is there's no nothing there at all and there's no protection against like you know intelligence services spying on data um for eu citizens there are protections under U.S. law for U.S. citizens, but yeah, not not like that. And I think that's also a valid point. Um, so basically, what they're saying is the, the 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 guarantees that EU citizens, the rights they have under the GDPR and under the EU Charter of Fundamental Rights, they're not being guaranteed in the U.S. And so we can't. the Privacy Shield is not working in this way um it it doesn't it, it doesn't protect eu citizens and it doesn't allow them to enforce their rights um it's like you know if you want to be a non gdpr country and you want to be on that list then there must be means for citizens eu citizens to you know have guarantees that their rights are being upheld yeah and i I feel like that is that's pretty much the case i don't it kind of feels like you you read all this you read the ruling and then you kind of feel like they should have seen this from the beginning i mean privacy shield in that respect is is pretty much a, a a bad idea now if you read this it does sound like it's now impossible for a company to store, you know, personal data from EU citizen on U.S. servers. Um, There are some exceptions. Um, So one is that if it's within a company, and as far as I understand, if the data is originating from employees, so let's say I work for a a German local subsidiary of a big U.S. corporation. Um, I don't know um let's say uh i work for uh i just pick some i'm just blanking on a random what would be a good example um uh let's say i don't know coca-cola right i work for the coca-cola germany and they they do it's probably is a bad example because that's too franchised and it's it's probably too big um, let's say I work for Johnson and Johnson for example uh, you know US pharma uh, drug company right and I've I work for a, a local German subsidiary like Johnson and Johnson Deutschland or whatever they call and they they of course I'm an employee they collect my user data then they are allowed under certain circumstances to process that in the US um but also I'm an employee, you know, there's there's there is stuff you can do um with your employee. It's not like it's not like random other people's data, right? Even under the GDPR, there's stuff you can do with employee data um that you can't do with your customers data. Um especially also because lots of this will be um specified in the um in your employment contract, right? So the the idea is that if you don't want that, don't get a job for that company. So stuff like that is allowed. And then there is um another method, um, which I'm gonna talk about in a bit a bit more. Uh, but there's these there's these things called that are within privacy shield or within no within the GDPR actually, um that are called standard contractual clauses. And this is basically uh so If I'm Facebook, um, I can have a contract with my users and they sign off on this and then I can process the data in the US. So... Currently, there are voices. I'm going to talk about this in a bit when I when I'm trying to have some some analysis of of what this actually all means. But there are voices that are saying, okay, with that it's still intact; it's business as usual. But there are other voices, especially more critical, and in Germany, where they're basically saying, well, that doesn't really help you because for that to work, you'd have to have a contract specifically with every single user, and you have to tell them very clearly what their data is being used for when it is being accessed, who can access it like specifically. Right. So you can't just say, Oh, i you know, if we get a subpoena from a law enforcement agency, uh, we will, if it's lawful, if our lawyers say it's lawful, we'll give them your data. Right. You'd have to say what law enforcement agency who is accessing it. Like, like what, special agent when no, not the actual person but like what what department is accessing it when under what circumstance all of that which is unlikely um, even for law enforcement it would be unlikely it's completely unlikely for intelligence services they're not going to tell you when the NSA is accessing what data under what you know circumstances um, I mean this is part of what the the court of justice generally um, said here the the, pr- the problem is you can have um, in a country, you can have stuff like national security matters, right, where it's like that that supersedes in certain situations uh, the privacy rules that people have. But what what the court of justice was saying is like there is no clear framework. There's no clear rules. Where like the U.S. laws say, okay, under national in, in a certain situation, like national security is important, we can start looking at EU customers' data, right? From from what the Court of Justice is saying, but what we are seeing from the EU perspective, basically, national security in the U.S. always trumps. Ah, word, play on words here a little bit. Uh, uh, always trumps um, privacy, and that's not acceptable. That is that that's not how the GDPR works. Although, you know, when we have a discussion about the GDPR, it is, that's another little hypocritical thing, but because I'm not quite sure how, um, how effective the GDPR is when it comes to, you know, intelligence services in Europe, um, looking at people's data, but that, that's on a whole, uh, Different, as uh, a different subject once again. That that would be, you know, in what cases is the GDPR actually uh, effective? Um, yeah. So so that is that is basically where we at. Privacy Shield has been pretty much killed, obliterated. it's, it's gone. It it's not it's not legal. Uh, all these doing that. You know, exporting data under these circumstances is is not legal. Um now that leaves us with the question well, what does this actually mean? If I interpret all of this from a you know German perspective, we're pretty strict on privacy. Uh you'd think that with that currently uh us companies can't use us servers to process and store um EU data from eu uh individuals and it seems unlikely that they'll fix privacy shield that will be a new thing because it's highly unlikely that donald trump will 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 basically extend the olive branch and 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 have a have an agreement with the eu where they're basically guaranteeing certain fundamental privacy rights for eu citizens i mean if you listen to trump he's like the eu ripped us off for years the eu is cheating us uh he's not gonna he's not gonna agree on that he knows that a huge part of the u.s economy by now is digital services you know uh, companies that have a lot of you know a lot of the people using them are in the eu and he's not gonna he's not gonna put a burden on them to satisfy what he probably thinks is like crazy eu demands on the other hand i think that's very unlikely what is probably more unlikely is that joe biden wins um the next election the election this year but even then even if biden wins or whoever you know is going to be uh president of Biden keels over one month into the, you know, it's declared, uh, you know, it's a 25th amendment, you know, it's declared not unfit, whoever, whoever of the Democrats is going to be the president, then um, I mean, they're not going to, they're not going to change this as well. I mean, you can see un- even under Obama. Uh, what was going on? Um, they are more sympathetic to the EU and generally to privacy rule l- rules, but just look at, you know, Democrat, look at Clinton, uh, at, at uh, Obama. I mean, did they, did they curtail, um, int- the intelligence, uh, apparatus? You know, did they contain any of the espionage programs? No. I mean they're, they're not going up against that. That is not a platform you can run on as a US, you know, hopeful president. Even as a president, you can't this is not something that is done where you like um say, ah well, I, I feel like privacy is important and I feel like the privacy of EU citizens is uh is more important than US national security. That just that doesn't fly. Even if you're a Democrat. I mean it's, it's probably even if Bernie Sanders would have in some way got elected, uh, which is even more highly unlikely, um, you know, that that's not that's not there's nobody ever did that, right? That's 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 not, that's not how things work. Now in the UK, the prevailing uh assumption seems to be that everything's just business as usual. Uh, so, the register, for example, uh, UK publication obviously writes on this, and I quote, the practical effects of the ruling are likely to be limited as data related standard contextual clauses, SCCs, added by firms for contracts governing all EEA UK data flows, um, uh, sorry, are likely to be limited. Uh, as, as, as data related standard contractual clauses, something else shrimps complained about were not struck down or ruled invalid. At a press conference late this morning, Commission Vice President Vera Urova. So from EU, who has responsibility for values and transparency, reassured businesses, the court of justice declared the privacy shield decision invalid, but also confirmed that the standard contractual clauses remain a valid tool for trends for the transfer of personal data to pro processes established in third countries this means the transatlantic data flows can continue based on the broad toolbox for international transfers provided by the gdpr for instance binding corporate rules or standard contractual clauses um she's probably right i mean they're probably right that on a technicality this is still possible and certainly you know people haven't cut any cables and data flows have not stopped but i feel like as there's going to be um legislative and you know uh, investigative uh, pressure on this and these these standard contractual clauses sccs are part of the gdpr so um they're not exceptions to the gdpr they're ways of um of extending the guarantees of the gdpr to other countries and you know the the European Court of Justice might not have struck this instrument down, but I think they have clearly said that the current legal situation in the US does not give EU citizens enough rights. They're, you know, under, under, under the GP, under the GDPR, it doesn't extend, extend these rights far enough. And what privacy experts are saying is, yeah, you can put stuff in the SCCs, right? But, uh, that doesn't that doesn't protect the data from being accessed by intelligence services, right? That doesn't doesn't like, and there's no there's still there's no legal recourse, and I think that 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 just hasn't changed. So I I feel like I'm on the side. I I mean it's probably business as usual right now, but I'm on I'm I'm more on the side that says if this ruling is get gets enforced, then there is currently no way to satisfy somebody uh, who, you know, a user, a EU user, who wants their GDPR granted privacy rights um, protected in the US. Because th- there is no way for a company to ensure that... Uh, that these intelligence services can't access it there's probably some some technical ways you could end-to-end encrypt the data or something but you know as we as we talked about on the show as well i mean that's that's no legal guarantee and it's 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 going to be circumvented right so if facebook says okay we're going to end-to-end encrypt all data and then um the us a uh, us intelligence service just compels them to put a backdoor into their client on the phone um, where they just read the data once it's encrypted on the phone to be shown to the user then you know all bets are off so the only way to to ensure against that is to have laws that say you can't do that and then have legal recourse for EU users who can then if these rules are violated sue somebody so, uh, the register also quotes some voices from the US that, that like me seem to be more s- skeptical. Again, reading from the stories, obviously linked in the show notes. The US IT and Innovation Foundation, ITIF, meanwhile complained the ruling was irresponsible and would treat the US with a double standard. In the midst of the global pandemic, I love that. You know, you gotta, gotta, can't do this now. You know, privacy, this is the same argument. I I complained about before right? privacy can't be that important right now because pandemic and we have to work from home and it's more important that people can use voice uh you know can can use video calls who cares about the privacy who cares about people's fundamental rights on the EU charter is more important I mean the argument like this already kind of disqualifies them but still uh, in the midst of a global pandemic, during which global data flows are more vital than ever, the ruling puts all global data transfer from the transfers from the EU at risk and wreaks havoc on the digital economy, said ITIF's Aline Chivot. It will immediately or shivert progress from the US. Aline Chivot. It will immediately upend, and in many cases even halt, data transfers between the EU and the United States, leaving many businesses with no suitable alternative. Wait, boo Right? I mean, who's surprised? You should have seen that coming. Um, Yeah, we have have rules about privacy here, and you don't. And that's a problem. (laughs) Um, While it was not immediately clear whether any business had stopped moving personal data across the Atlantic after this morning's judgment, uh, shivert made the point that u.s laws on government access to personal data were not unique seemingly calling on the eu to reject other countries data access laws in the same way um i think the eu will do that um i think i mean this has happened because Max Rems should suit facebook and yes i mean i don't think it's a double standard But the U.S. is the first and by far the largest target because they have the digital economy, right? This is where all the data is going. Um, If companies then go and say, well, okay, can't do it in the U.S., we move all that data to India, and then we'll figure out, oh, well, India doesn't have uh, equivalent privacy laws. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure the EU Court of Justice will, you know, act on that as well. But you are the biggest you know you you're where all the infrastructure is you're where all the companies are that that are important in this um in this arena you can't just go crying now I mean, that's the responsibility that comes with with owning all of that um and i can i kind of feel this ruling just makes sense i mean there's i know this going to be practical errors because of that but you know we'll, we'll see i don't know i don't know what comes out of it i don't know if we'll have at some point a u.s president who is willing to engage with the eu and maybe change some laws at home i think that would uh, it's probably unlikely but it would certainly be a good outcome i feel like it would be a good outcome for uh, u.s citizens i mean i have a lot of people from the u.s at least server, uh, at least your ip addresses say so um, that listen to the show and I I would love your uh input on this. I mean if I was in the US, I was actually happy I would be happy about this because I would be um unhappy about the way um the way data um is being you know, the, the, all the spying programs, all the espionage programs, all this intelligence gathering, I'd be unhappy about that. And if, 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 if the pressure from the EU manages to change some of these laws for US citizens, I, I think that would be good as well. Um, as a European from the, at the very least, um, I would expect that my data that goes to your country, it's on your servers that I have the same rights that a US citizen has. I think laws that say basically, oh, we can't spy on 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 US citizens but we can spy freely on anybody else they're just unjust laws I mean I understand why they're there from a you know national security standpoint but they are unjust laws and I mean we have laws like that in in the EU I'm not saying you know uh for the first zone and all that I mean, but I, these are unjust laws and I if we ha- if we have laws in the uh, EU it says well um your your data um is not protected here because it comes from the US then i would find that un, unjust as well i actually don't un, don't really know how that would actually work like if you're a us company and you have data for, uh, if you're a eu company and you have data from a us customer i think that would still fall under the gdpr not as in um it's personal identifiable data from a European, but it's, it's from non-European, but I think it falls on the GDPR because the GDPR applies to all data, personal data held on EU servers, no matter where it originates from. I could be wrong on that. Um, but I mean, what the GDPR does is basically practically, even if that's not the case, I mean, your, your data will be, um, will be handled the same way. Right. Um, even if you do not have a right to write in and like how's my data um ask them like where's my data stored and how is this processed um and you can write in to have it deleted i mean all the processes are there i'm pretty much sure a lot of companies would just delete it if you do that even if you're not a eu citizen um, i don't think they even check that i think they check that uiu you you, right that but uh, so that, not, that somebody else can check, they can just get my data deleted. Uh, but I mean, all the, um, the waste data I handled are still the same, right? Because these companies, they don't have a database for non EU customers. It's all the same database. And you just apply the highest standard of, you know, protection, being careful about this kind of thing. Uh, but so, you know, that, that is just, that's just unjust i i don't like that i don't like that in the eu either but in the us it's very it's very prevalent in 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 these cancer uh, laws and uh, where where the, the protections are concerned is pretty much only for us citizens so i don't know um i mean the the, the best case outcome would be that we get a system that works i guess um i feel with the current political climate and and uh and deep trenches that are being dug everywhere it's unlikely so i don't know where this leads i don't know what it does in the foreseeable future um but it's definitely very interesting and i think i think it's a battle it's a it's a battle for the minds you know broader broader speaking um it's it's a battle of the minds between um cultures basically you know b- between a uh a, a, a somebody's a, a culture a um a way of living where you say privacy is a fundamental fundamental right and it's important and we need ways to enforce it and the state has to give us legal Ways of doing so, and more of a laissez-faire attitude. We're like we're more about innovation and about creating interesting and exciting new things on the internet, and we don't, you know, we 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 don't think people need privacy rights at all. I mean, I don't know. You know, it's like this this um, this battle that is going on, and to some extent, I can understand both sides. Obviously, I'm a bit more on the privacy actually matters side of obviously with me doing this podcast um but i think it's an inter- i think maybe this as i'm doing as i'm talking about this i feel like this is maybe a starting point for further episodes um i would love to discuss this if anybody wants to write me uh feedback and you know maybe longer feedback or something or raise some issues uh, maybe i can use it as a starting point as a as an episode about you know generally the gdpr and you know different views of privacy, I think. um, I mean, one one thing I wanted to look at anyway that is on the list Um, just as a general topic I want to talk about is like this post-privacy stuff and, you know, do we actually need privacy? Is that supposed to be a fundamental right? Um, So very interesting stuff. I hope you find it interesting as well. If you do, um, please, please, please write in. Uh, as always, contact details uh, in the show notes, private citizen press, where you will also find um, the materials I used to uh, bring you this episode, and you know links to everything and stuff like that. And with that, maybe we should talk about the uh, producer feedback because uh, we've got some. First off, uh, we have uh, Steven from Raleigh. North Carolina home of uh, Red Hat so where Red Hat a Red Hat's HQ is um and steven says that butterbeans who had r- written in uh, with some comments on the previous episode episode 32 um has a point and steven says um and I'm going to comment on this throughout I think I hear what you say I hear what you're saying about keeping social media I mean this is a Different topic now. We're now talking about um social media and uh the, the thing with the um you know with uh, the the political fight with Trump and, and people and basically saying, you know, should we um should we change this clause, this safe harbor, different kind of safe harbor uh, clause. But so basically if social networks um are um just just let user publish whatever they want to write without editorializing it without checking it without deleting things without censoring things then they are uh, broadly speaking uh and not responsible for what's in those postings. Um, and we we're talking about that and Butterbean had written it. Anyway, Stephen says, I hear what he's saying about keeping social media completely free and open without fact checking or other controls interjected by the companies. And in principle, I agree. But Butterbean says a good point about the sheer scale of their reach and the magnitude of their impact. Twitter, Facebook at all aren't really comparable to an intimate conversation among fr- family and friends. Through them, we listen in on conversations from all across the country and beyond, most of which have nothing to do with us personally. They shape the content of national dialogue, which isn't really a dialogue at all, not because of their formats, not least because their formats aren't designed for thoughtful expression, but rather for knee-jerk reactions, and that at a massive scale. Now, I get this is an argument that comes up a lot, and I get where you're coming from. I just feel like... um. Yes, I mean, social networks are not like a conversation between family and friends, but they are kind of what they are. Yeah, they're socialized mass media. Um, What you're seeing here is this discourse, which which isn't really a discourse um, that is happening on a national scale, is nothing new. Um, I mean, you, you you still have this happening and the main outlet before the internet and before social media of this was, you know, television and political talk shows and people sitting there and having a discourse that, you know, didn't really uh, have nothing to do with you personally and kind of shaped the national discourse. But that wasn't like a dialogue either, a real one, right? This were television executives putting people there or radio, whatever, or newspaper, you know, people I mean if you write into a newspaper back in the day, you know, yeah, editors pick what letters are in the newspaper. That's not really free discourse, right? If 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 they have a political bias, they might just pick certain things. Um so I don't think I don't think this is this is new. Also, I don't think like knee-jerk reactions. I mean, that is basically what people on talk shows are doing. It's, it's not different. It's just like, oh, they're the experts, right? But they're mostly, they're people that know as much about a certain topic as you and me do. It's just like, you know, they're just known for something. Um, anyway, Stephen continues. We've also seen over the past few years how bad actors have exploited these inherent characteristics of social media to intentionally sow misinformation and strife and distrust across the country perhaps we should think about email spam okay let's let let me um comment on that there's also not something new this used to happen through your newspaper or still does this happens through journalists who report on things that they got fed by somebody which was you know propaganda um i mean this is this this is what the cold war was Right, The Cold War was both sides, the Soviet Union and the u.S, in with different mechanisms, you know in the u.S, it was more like movies and uh I don't know, you know rock and roll records, and with the Soviets, it was more like actual you know what you would, more traditional propaganda and placed information. This is not you. And I don't think it's gotten worse. Um, it's certainly not worse than it was in the Cold War. Right, I mean, yes, there's disinformation out there, but you know, in the Cold War, the most of the inhabitants of Eastern Germany learned what happened in Chernob- Chernobyl, which was when was that, 1986. They learned that in 1990, when the wall came down. Right, it just it just imagine that level of disinformation, where a whole. Um, this is like something that these days you probably only have in North Korea and probably not even there anymore um where a whole population of a country didn't no effect like a nuclear power plant exploded in a basically a neighboring country right so it It's just changed. That's what I think. Anyway, uh, Stephen says, perhaps we should think about email spam. It's said that most email traffic in the world is in fact spam. Well, it's not said that is, that is very true. Uh, email providers like Gmail do incredibly well in filtering that out for us. Not perfectly, of course, but, but to such a degree that we can almost forget about it. Wouldn't it be awesome to have some kind of social media spam filter at least against malicious content that's that effective no it wouldn't so i um i always i don't run my own mail server because i I'm, I, I can't do that i don't have the job for so that i'm an it security uh writer so i know what can go wrong which is a lot and i don't think i can handle that but you know i have i pay a company actually the full disclosure <laughs> i don't really pay them i i I have um so i use mailbox.org um i use a a free account that provided to me um because i'm a journalist and you know i'm i need that's well it's it's not my only email provider let's put it that but you know um if if they hadn't provided that for me I'd, i'd be paying for that to be honest um so I, I use a, a mail provider that's very transparent where I can, I can look pretty much, I mean, it can't look directly on the server, but you know, I can turn all the filtering off and I pretty much do. I have my own filter rules. Um, and why do I do that? Because an I, I'm an IT, uh, security journalist and, you know, I can't use Gmail. I mean, somebody sends me something email, Gmail thinks that's, uh, that looks weird because it is weird because it's part of a IT security research and or maybe spam research even. like I need to get spam because I need to know what it looks like. That's another thing. But Gmail just filters that out and never shows it to me, right? I, this, is, this is not usable. And I would never use Gmail even if I wasn't an IT. Uh, I mean, if, as a journalist, you can't use Gmail because uh, you have Google reading all your email and that's where you do like 30% or 50% of your research, right? And you you like communicate with sources like i can't do that but even as a just a normal geek i w- i mean i stopped using gmail years and years ago um because no I don't, I don't want google to i don't want some company in the u.s to decide uh what is spam and whatnot and what information i'm supposed to see like no right I, that's exactly my argument i don't want some some corporation that has political leanings for example to do that you know, maybe I'm interested in what Donald Trump's campaign uh, does, you know, and I sign up to like an email newsletter from them. And then, you know, just, it's not that far fetched that at some point Google would go, Oh, well, that's just spam because we don't like that because we're all Democrats because we're in Silicon Valley. I mean, it's not a, that's not, that's not a conspiracy theory that, you know, it's like saying that the the leadership of Twitter is relatively progressive and left leaning, and probably every every single one of them votes for the Democrats or Independents. Nobody votes for the Republicans. I think it's pretty. I mean, that's pretty clear, right? I I I, I don't want to um, allege that they're filtering email that way, but they could be right. I don't want, I don't want that decision to be down to to, to somebody I don't know that I don't have no recourse. Have you ever tried contacting Gmail about something, right? Something that went wrong with your email or your account? Yeah, good luck. Try that. You, you have no recourse. Um, and I personally, i rather filter all this shit myself. Believe me, I get a lot of spam. I get a lot of spam. I get a lot of email. Um, I get more email than you could probably imagine. Like, seriously, I, it's, it, is, it is a huge burden on my life. But, you know, I have to take that on. Because I I I wanna I wanna have I wanna impose my own filters on my sources, not somebody else's, and especially some something as intransparent as Gmail's spam filtering. Um, just if you want, if you don't believe, let's just run some tests on what they feel It's it, in some cases it is really weird, because it's like all some AI fucking algorithm, right? There's no no nobody deciding. Hey, m- maybe that rule does not. You know a spammer starts using the word "soap" a lot and it starts filtering out messages that are that maybe I want to get that use the word soap i mean that's a simplistic um example, but you know that's how that's how it largely works um yeah so no, I don't want that for social media i don't I don't want that for public discourse right i want I want to get the stuff that is propaganda, and the problem is that if you have a certain viewpoint, yeah, you go, oh yeah, that's obviously RT and that's Breitbart and that's all propaganda. Um but the shit Nancy Pelosi says is not propaganda. No. There has no that there, there, there's I mean, there there's some there's some stuff that you know comes from sources like that. That is obviously not true. Right? That you, you just I don't need to be a New York Times fact checker to figure out that there's stuff being said that's that is not true, that is misleading people for political reasons, because it comes straight from a politician i mean of course but but then that is not filtered like i don't I don't want that i don't I don't think these 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 are just is that, well just the wrong word um there, there's no balanced filtering going on, and where that is maybe the case for spam. That's that's just how it starts, right? Nobody's nobody's stopping them from implementing another filter. And of course you could say, okay, you use mailbox.org or whatever. I, I actually also use Tutanota. Um and I try to spread it out. But you could say, well, th- they could have political unions. Yes, they could. Um, but they have a much more uh, trans- transparent system for me with more direct access to my email. Um and actually abilities to 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 select what filters I use, of course, I, I have to trust them in some way, but you know they're a company that make money from people using their email. I trust them more than Gmail, which is Google, which makes money by advertising, right They have no interest in in like their their direct business interest is not providing an email customer with a good email experience that 's just the side effect of their business of collecting people 's data. Anyway, um, maybe I sound very critical, Stephen. Uh, You know, if you listen to the show, you know that's the way I am. I appreciate your input very much. And uh, I mean, the the fact that we're just talking about this is is hugely valuable. Um, And I mean, that's a valid opinion. It's just not, I I don't think it's it's wrong. It's just not my, that's not how I weigh the importance of like these things. Anyway, uh, Stephen goes on. Now, sure. Who's going to be trusted uh, to be the fair arbitrator of what's true or not, what's malicious or not? Exactly. That's, that is exactly the problem. I don't know the answer to that, but what we have right now is problematic. Yeah, it is. Life is problematic. Maybe there's no real solution. Maybe we've built a system that we as a species aren't really adapted to handle well. Maybe one day someone will invent some kind of social media that's really benefit- that really benefits us and isn't subject to exploitation. But what do we do to keep society from blowing itself up until then? Okay, so I don't think, yes, it's problematic, but I don't think, I, I think this is a technologic people who, I mean lots of people who listen to this podcast i probably would consider themselves tech geeks which i'm myself but i've seen I'm doing podcasts about these topics for uh more than a decade now and I, I see like this pattern where people who are highly technical they think about the problem being the system the problem is not social media social media is just media right no matter if you write on papyrus if you uh put like radio waves into the air or if you use the internet that's not the problem the problem is human the human condition the problem is how humans are and this is problematic and it always will be problematic there's where there's more than three humans in a place there's politics where there's politics there's corruption where where there's politics there's going to be misinformation Um, and there's always going to be misinformation right i mean that's that's what happens. I mean, advertising is misinformation. You know, at the simple point, misinformation is telling you true things but leaving other things out. That is misinformation. Um, it's everywhere. And I don't think society is blowing itself up. You know, we're not... I mean, yes. I mean, as a society right now, we actually, you know, we have peace, like, mostly. Um, we're doing quite well. Um yes we are we are at some point destroying ourselves i mean i I've, I've, i think a good example is um you know coronavirus stuff which i've talked about on the show i feel like we completely as a society completely fucked up on that like we we haven't we've misjudged the danger we've we've implemented measures that that in hindsight are idiotic um we're doing crazy rules and everybody just agrees because it's just um perpetuated by newspapers, by television, on Twitter. But, you know, is Twitter the problem? Is the the television medium the problem? No, it's people. It's journalists who don't know what they're talking about, who don't have enough time to research stuff. It's filter bubbles. But, I mean, you can have these filter bubbles in real life as well. You don't have to be on social media, right? If you just hang around with people of a certain political leanings then you will only get that information you don't will not get the other information so what do we do i feel like um i mean i've said this before i've talked about this in the episode where i discussed a lot of things with mike on journalism um this is not a solution for everyone. It's probably only a solution for two percent of the planet but i feel like if you listen to this podcast you're probably a nerd and a geek and and interested in information and 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 you know, you're, you're walking through life awake with your eyes open and you're analyzing things and you have a brain that works that way. And, and if you're like that, you belong to these 2%. And these two, I'm just saying 2%, I don't know. Maybe it's more, I don't know, maybe it's 5%. Let's say it's 5%. And these pi- 5% of the population um, have the intellect and the ability to, if they get off their ass and if they want to, start analyzing stuff. You don't have to be a journalist, right? I stopped watching TV probably 10 years ago, maybe even 15. Um, I stopped watching TV because I couldn't stand it anymore. I couldn't stand the bias anymore. I couldn't, like, I I went to the internet and I I went like, okay. And even that this was before I was a professional journalist has nothing to do with that. I just made that ability my job because I thought I I realized I was good at it. But, you know. I, I just thought, no, I'm going to look at, it's not that hard. I'm going to look at the stuff myself, right? And if a new virus comes up, um, there's a Wikipedia article on that. And that has problems. But even reading the Wikipedia article, I, I already know more than they're telling me on TV, right? Where they, in Germany, for like two weeks on mainstream, publicly funded, also unbiased with great reporters telling people that it was a DNA virus because I don't know. You read the Wikipedia article; the, the first two lines, you know that that's wrong. It's more work, yes. And I think the problem is we've been, we've become as a society, we've become complacent, and we just sit around in our. It's <laughs> turning into a rant, but you know that's how it goes. We sit around in our uh, in our ways, and we don't want to change our ways, and then we just complain. Something goes wrong. We com- we don't complain change stuff change your habits stop complaining about the world going to hell in a handbasket and social media being so bad um follow more people follow more diverse sources oh my god if you don't get off social media and get your information from somewhere else i don't know i don't i don't care but do something right this year um when it's all uh, totally unrelated but just there's an example I as a kid, I used to be, you know, I used to play football. I used to be quite fit, right? And I'm I'm a nerd, so I sit at home all the time. And I, I'm I'm I was getting fat, not really fat, but like you know, good, good sized beer belly. Certainly not uh, as as fit as I was when I was younger. And I just accepted that. And when this all nonsense started and i couldn't go out anymore at night you know couldn't do certain things i do in my free time i just had time on my hands and i was always running a bit but i was like okay i've got time i can't go out because anything but i can go run like i went running and i just kept at it i realized well it's uh inconvenience and Puts a stress factor in my life because I have to have the time to do it, and some other things you know that I'm doing have taken the back seat to that. But I thought this is important. I need, I want to change. I want to I want to change the way I'm here. You know, people worry about the coronavirus and how 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 you die when you're older. When I know, you know, my wife does um, does heart research into heart diseases, right? And the thing that kills millions more people than any virus is heart diseases that kills everybody basically it kills a lot of people like it, it's it's worse than cancer it kills you know heart-related circulatory diseases kill lots of people and lots of that stuff is preventable if they just spend a bit more time uh, exercising right now was like i know how important this is I I, I I don't like how I look because I you know at least you look better. So why don't I just take some time in my week and start go running? And I just kept at it. And I was like, I'm going to change my life. So I started in March. You know when this whole thing kicked off, I started training. I was always running a bit, but I started training in the earnest. I could barely run six kilometers. Barely. I now run fourteen kilometers. Right. I started to do some little bit of muscle training for my arms because I I was getting. I was watching UFC and I was like, why do why do these guys look better than me? Why do I have puny arms? Maybe we can do something about that. And that's just completely aside. What I just want to say: we need to. Sometimes you just need to. You need to gather a bit of will and need to change. And I feel like that's the same with you know consuming media. It's a it's a change in your, in your mind, right. And I don't mind you having using Google for the spam filter. I know lots of people who do that. I mean, it's just not something for me personally. Um, but I feel like calling for some some arbitrary guy in a company to to start censoring all of like that's the only information I get. That's pretty much the only unfiltered information stream I still have. That is uh, timely and valid is Twitter. Right. That's where I get my information from. And yes, it has downsides because I need to filter. And sometimes I, 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 you know, sometimes I believe something and it's, it's, it's well disguised propaganda. Yes, that happens. But if you start checking what they, what, what, what they write in newspapers and what they, what you, what you watch on TV and then just assume that's broadly correct, if you start checking how much of that is wrong because you know their sources are wrong and they didn't filter their sources correctly then you'll see that if you apply your mind to it and do it yourself which is of course work yes um but you know it's the only way you better yourself by putting some work in and you will see that you're probably if you listen to this podcast you're probably much better off than what these my colleagues in in the media do anyway long rant uh <laughs> Thanks for writing in, Stephen. I do appreciate it. I mean, this is, this is, uh, it gives us content, hopefully, content people. Like if they don't write in and we'll have more content. Um Steven was referring to something Butterbean says, which was in episode thirty-two, but Butterbeans also wrote in again and says, Wow Fab, just listen to episode thirty-two. What a great fucking response to my questions. I like those man talks. Thank you for taking the time to give such a thoughtful response. Really gave me a lot to think about. Nice little interjection about Bismarck too. Well it happens when you when you read Bismarck, um at the moment. Uh, As an aside, I started listening to Sabbath. And by the way, going back to Bismarck, right? I mean, if you go back to that time, that's, I don't know, talking 1850, maybe. Um, If you look at this situation there, there was no unbiased reporting. Every newspaper belonged to somebody, belonged to a political party. Right, I mean, if you look at that, there were there was a lot more propaganda flying around there, and it was a lot harder to get at real information. We are much better off as a society as, as it is right now. Um, sometimes history gives you an appreciation, and you figure out that things aren't as bad as you think they are. Um, as an aside, I started listening to Sabaton for the first time when I heard Corolla's Rex, English version, over a YouTube video and loved it. Uh, whenever you have the time can you send me some song recommendations absolutely no rush enjoy your motorcycle trip Um, I I sent Butterbean some uh, recommendations Uh, Corolla's Rex is an amazing song and I I love the album it's actually my favorite uh, Sabaton album Uh, if you don't listen to anything by Sabaton listen to that album just straight through from the beginning to the end it has a it tells the story it's like historical um it's it's chronological it's it's a yeah, I love that album it's great music too um yeah, enjoy your motorcycle trip well, there will be uh some more episodes before my motorcycle trip so um I should probably have said this at the top of the show, but if you're still with me, you get now get this information so um Aside from today's episode, I'm planning to do, um, to put out another episode this week, later in the week. And then I'm planning to do another episode uh, in the following week on the 12th normal Wednesday release. Maybe I'll release it a day earlier schedule is a bit iffy uh, but after that i'm going going on that motorcycle trip to norway um, if my motorcycle is going to be repaired it looks like it's it's going to be fucking expensive anyway but it looks like they have the parts so they might finish it this week so i might be able to go on my own motorcycle and uh you know i mean barring any more coronavirus madness maybe The the Danish people led us through the country and we actually get to Norway and then we'll do the trip. Uh, But that means that in the week starting on the 17th of August, uh, so the Wednesday would be the 19th, there will be no episode, um, which is why I'm doing two this week. And then I plan to resume uh, normal operations the week after uh, on Wednesday the 26th. Um, I think taking a week off should be okay. Um, I'm trying to produce extra episodes to make up for it. That week is also uh, my birthday, which is on the 20th of August. So yeah, I'm on on the trip doing my birthday. And then after that, I will resume, you know, there'll be a week without episode and then I'll resume normal operations until we move, um, which is probably be going to be in the uh, somewhere in the middle of September and that all bets are off there. I don't know how that's, you know, depending on how long the move takes Uh, Hamburg, dusseldorf is quite a, quite a ways to go uh also uh, i don't know how the internet situation you know if i can get everything connected so there there might be a few weeks where there's no episodes there but i will uh, inform you closer to that and we will we'll, we'll get it all done and i'll do i'll try to do extra episodes afterwards or something we'll see um we've, we've got lots of topics and if you write in and give me more information we've uh, more stuff to discuss we, we'll, we'll uh, have even more content uh but thanks i will you know uh, ho- hopefully it will be a good trip uh fingers thumbs pressed as we say in germany fingers crossed uh that that my that they managed to repair the gearbox on my goodsie. um frank uh wrote in and uh frank recommends a podcast so he's saying I found a podcast I'm really enjoying called Your Better Life. It's been a really interesting show. Gary Collins does this show completely for free. He doesn't even use Patreon. I looked that up. Yeah, well, he does. Um, he's also a best-selling author. Uh, so at the point, <laughs> I mean, this show is you know it's, it's completely for free. I mean, you do you do not have to be a patron to listen to it or you know support it. It's completely fine if you just download it and listen to it. Uh, but you know. If I was a successful uh, author and had book royalties, I'll probably also uh, kill the Patreon. <laughs> I mean, I'm not doing that to uh, to rake in the money. It's not like there's money. I'm just trying to recoup some some costs here, uh, some lost revenue I have for the time doing this. But anyway, that's beside the point. Anyway, uh, Frank Codini, I have to say this is really good stuff. Gary speaking directly to some of my interests, he gets into various topics to include writing uh which we know is in your wheelhouse well if he's an author it makes sense uh yeah uh gary collins is into the concept of full freedom and living a lifestyle that breaks out of the nine-to-five rut that most of america's trapped in i mean not only america right uh, he's coined the phrase american trap rather than american dream actually i you know i love I- People now I like to listen to no agenda, and they um, they actually just call it the American Dream. Uh, they they always have this quote from Obama where he was, was talking about the American Dream and uh, talking about folks just folks just getting by. And at this point, I think Adam Curry uh, made the observation that the American Dream now is just getting by uh, and eating mac and cheese, <laughs> which I guess is uh, that that is the same you know what what this guy calls the american trap uh, my entire life has been about becoming financially independent and breaking the chains that bind us so uh, very bruce springsteen um, <laughs> um, the ties that bind I- i'm just about there here in america the, and that's uh, you know frank's frank's going on about um Doing that, which is uh, interesting. And, uh, you know, how about the, the, he's saying about controls, not so much the government, you know, forcing you to do something, but it's more like, as he says, the chains are economic ones and we are simply slaves nonetheless. I wouldn't agree with that. You know, you're not, you're not a slave. But I mean, yeah, that, that is a thing. And I don't think it's an American thing. I mean, that's just, it's just capitalism. Um am not, not sure the alternative is better, but yeah, definitely. And, you know, as, as you maybe know, if you listen to this podcast, that is what I've been doing as well. You know, that's why I, I quit my job, because I wanted to get out of this 9 to 5 rat race. Um and I wanted to try if I can do something else. And, you know, having a patron for this podcast is part of it. Uh, Gary Collins, uh, he then talks about how he was in the Army Rangers and stuff. And he recommends, uh, uh, he says he writes, he writes books. Uh, you might enjoy these so- shows. is worth a listen, says Frank. I recommend episode number 49, Truth and Con- Consequences of the Crazy RV Life, which is definitely down my wheelhouse with my camper van. And also number 45, How to Reclaim Your Freedom with Matt kibby kib i don't know how do you say his name uh kilo india bravo bravo echo uh it's a changing world and we need to change with it uh to try and remain free i will definitely uh start listening to this show uh give it give it a shot i haven't so far you know i haven't had time i haven't listened to it. Um, but you know, I appreciate the, uh, the 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 tip. It does it does sound like from how you describe it and how you describes the podcast on the website uh, to be something that would be interesting, uh, especially to listeners of this podcast. Um, because yes, I mean, financial freedom is a is a large part of individual freedom. Um and I'm I'm interested in that. I, I you know I don't agree with the with the sentence Frank signs off with it's a changing world and we need to change with it uh to try to remain free. I don't I, I don't personally agree with that. I think that is um that is a meme that the governments and companies are trying to put into your head. Um, I saw this Coke commercial recently where like, ah, things, things have changed, but maybe we don't need to change back to the normal. Maybe we can change things. And I think this is a meme that uh, everybody's using to make you do things they want. I mean, Coke is not, it's not in the business of improving people's lives, right? They're in the business of selling soft drinks. Um, That was an ad, right? They're not, like, no matter how they disguise their ads, as oh, we are so nice and we're all in this together, it's an ad. Um, and, and, you know, if Coke, Coke is not in the business of making your life better. Um, if Coke could get the government to uh, force everybody to start drinking Coke instead of water, they would do that in a heartbeat um because they're a company um so i don't you know um, but they're not the only one i mean governments are using this meme everybody's using this meme it's just like uh, they want to change your behavior and i don't think yes it's a changing world um but also i mean looking at the stuff we talked about in this feedback segment only you know i mean that i think we have a tendency this is something you learn when you study history um you live in the moment and people have a tendency to always um dramatize the moment and make things worse than they actually were if you look at the coronavirus thing right the world has not changed at all the world hasn't changed um we changed we made changes but the the the, the facts of life haven't changed there were always viruses um There were always coronaviruses. I mean, this is SARS-CoV-2, right? There was a SARS-CoV-1. There was a MERS. Um, There was Ebola. There were worse viruses. And there were worse health uh, situations in the last 100 years. And we had a reaction. And people saying, well, everything has changed now. We can't back to the way it was before. Um, if they say that you have to look at that, you know, going back to, you know, analyzing what people are saying and analyzing propaganda and, 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 and misleading information. You have to think, what is their agenda? Why are they saying like, why can't we, like we could, we could immediately go back to the way it was before. Let's get rid of the masks. Uh, you know, some some of the stuff we could probably keep. I mean, having hand sanitizers in every source, amazing. It's good. I wasn't sick. This you know, I I got allergies from hell right now, but I literally I I didn't even have a cold since January. Nothing. I usually have like two colds a winter, right? I, at least, maybe three. I've I've nothing. I've 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 never been this healthy because I'm yeah, everybody's sterilizing their hands all the time which is good i mean that's good um I'm, I'm not convinced the masks are good but you know but even we could even do without that again i mean there, there's no reason we have to change it's it's in our brains and i have i think we have to watch out but i don't want to disparage from you know this podcast tip it sounds sounds interesting i just i this just rubs me the wrong way people are saying these things because they're memes and um i I feel like we have to, i have to fight that because um I feel like no there there is i mean i I titled an episode fighting the new normal there is no new normal um and the facts of life haven't changed since january um there were viruses before um the Ch- Chinese government was communist before um they lied to us before Donald Trump was in office before um yes lots of people died of a disease but people died of diseases before i mean we could have this exact same reaction to heart disease right we could as a as a something could happen and as a as a, a community as a as a society all over the world we could suddenly realize shit we, we lots of millions of us die every year because of heart disease and a lot of that is preventable and if we just um you know pointed the the changed the medical system to uh to detect this better if we put more money into research if we improved things uh we could we could we could probably eradicate a lot of as they call it now excess deaths due to heart disease or anything else like that's just the way the public conscious is getting is just stirred in a certain direction um yeah so that's that's why I always take issue with that but anyway, thanks uh for the comments. I thought this was amazing this is good. this is exactly what I'm looking for and um i like how Butterbeans just took my you know i did the same thing with his comments and i i provided you know I, I provided my own arguments and 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 spoke against many of the things he said as i did to steve in this episode and i feel i love the way he just reacted to that and he was like yeah awesome i mean the great response even though i didn't agree with him that's exactly what we need on this podcast the fact that i don't agree with you doesn't mean you're 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 um, Opinions is valid or that i hate you or whatever right I, I I think it's interesting that's why i'm talking about it and oh man there's so few people who, who see things these that, that that way and i i feel very very happy that um you know this podcast might not be the most listened to ever or even that i've ever done but i feel like the people that at least the people that are writing they get it they get this way of thinking um and i love that so uh, I hope uh, that this the, the your better life podcast that it sounds like it's that, that way as well it's kind of like uh, that's why I always talk about no agenda because I like their way of doing that they're always you know they're always saying like you don't don't have to agree with things we're saying that's not the point we are trying to analyze something and we might be wrong but it's about you listen to that and you get an idea and you get pointers and you're doing your own research and you're writing in and then we're discussing it think that's how that's i mean that that's new media that's how media should operate right It's no longer about the journalist on his platform you know pontificating about things how things should be you know, and they make mistakes and I make mistakes, but i'm in a in a you're the producers, I'm in a discourse with you right, and the the mainstream television presenter on the evening news they're not in a discord with you like you can't write in and and they'll discuss that no, because they're right, and you're the plebs. Anyway, um, thank you. If you have, uh, you're not the plebs, you're producers on this show. So if you have input, please uh, write to me. Uh, contact details are under producer feedback uh, in the show notes, privatecitizen.press. Um, there is a link in the footer, or you can go directly to fab.industries/contact and contact me there. And um, I've talked about Patreon before. I'm a, Sadly, I'm not yet a um, successful author, although I'm working on it. Grimdeep.com. Grimdeep.com. <laughs> uh, but until that point, I need to earn money. And uh, it's a free podcast. You're free to listen to it. Um, you can provide value any way you want. No value at all. You can write in, provide me with information, give me ideas what to talk about, or you can, uh, you know support me monetarily via uh patreon there's a link in the show notes uh how to become a patron which is like a monthly uh subscription a small one or you can just uh, send a one-off payment to producers at fab.industries but don't feel like you have to that's via paypal producers at fab.industries all of this completely optional The so-called value for value model which means um think about what value you derive from that show, how much that's worth to you, you know, in comparison to, I don't know, a Spotify subscription, a Netflix subscription back in the day before the world changed, going to the cinema, um, having a coffee on the road, stuff like that. And then just, you know, if you want to, you can uh, provide some value back, which is great and helps me do the show. Yeah. And that's, that's it for this episode. Um, I just have to credit everyone who's done that. Um, Before that, I would like to credit Raul Kabuzali, who wrote the uh, theme tune I'm using for this podcast, and also ByteMark at ByteMark.co.uk, who are providing me with the servers I use to send you the audio files. And I I like to give them credit for transparency, um, just how I say what email provider I use, because um, I use a free, uh, you know, they give me, gave me a free account although that's not specifically for the show otherwise i would i uh, would also uh credit them on here but that's just generally just for my writing and stuff like that and actually i do like uh Madbox.org, so if they if they cancel that i just get a paid account but, you know, before that, it's not like I'm raking in any, any little, any little, little thing like that kind of helps me, you know, I'm not, not turning a complete loss on writing free content for people all the time <laughs> or recording podcasts. Anyway, so I think, thanks to ByteMark. Uh, for that and with that uh, I would like to thank all the people who have given me money for this show who have financially supported the show and have become producers in that way so I'd like to thank Niall Donegan, Michael Mullen Jensen Jonathan M. Hathi Georges Walther, Dave Butterbeans, Mark Holland Steve Hose, Shelby Kruver, Kai Sears, Vlad Jackie Plage 1i11g Fadi Mansour, Philip Klostermann, IKN, Jaroslav Lichtblau, Matt Jellyman, Joe Poser, Dirk Didi, David Potter, Dave Amrish, Mika or Mika, Vytaute Sadowski's, Ricky M, Drive Zero, Martin, Jonathan Edwards, Barry Williams, Sylvia Vulcan, NSJ. Thanks to all of you. It's very, 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 very much appreciated what you do. I really do appreciate it. Um, yeah, and that's it for this episode. I hope this uh, this was interesting to you, provided some insight on this EU-European uh, Court of Justice decision. Uh, you know, as always, please write in if you have another viewpoint. Um, I'm interested in that and with that I'll I'll leave you for this not really for this week because if everything goes according to plan I can't really promise these things but there will be out uh, another episode out this week and otherwise I'll see you next week before I will then embark on an epic motorcycle journey through Norway Um, if my motorcycle gets fixed in time um And if I have the thousands of dollars, uh, euros, uh, I have to pay for that. Anyway. <laughs> um, have, a nice, uh, have a nice time until then. Um, just remember, aim to misbehave.